I do this every time I'm up here, so I'm going to go ahead and let everyone prepare now. You ready? Good morning, Smithfield. There we go. We don't have to do it twice. If I just give you a little heads up, we don't have to do it twice. It is a good morning. It is a fine morning. It is a morning of blessing and a morning of joy to be in the house of the Lord. And it is the last day of 2023. And as Whitney so often hates me reminding her, we just keep getting older. So every year that goes by, obviously, we have one more year to grow in God, to grow in relationship, to grow in family, and I never want to take that for granted. So it is worth mentioning at the start here that it has been a fantastic 2023, and God has even greater things in store in 2024. So we can remember that going into tonight. If you're staying up till midnight, God bless you. If not, have a good nap. So (laughs) thank you all. Today, if you want to go ahead and start turning to your scripture, we're going to be in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Now, you say Revelation and people start going, oh, now, whoa, that's the scary book. We don't talk about Revelation. But Revelation is just as profitable for teaching, for correction, for proof, because all scripture is profitable for teaching, for correction, and reproof. So we want to spend some time there today. Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Today's passage is one of caution. It's a cautionary tale. How often, considering the year past and years before and all of our lives in general, how often do we consider the blessings God grants us in our lives? I mean, really consider them. Monetary blessing, blessing in our relationships, blessing of our own health. All of these come from God alone, and we know that if we are firmly in our word. Do we ever find ourselves maybe growing overconfident in our blessings, maybe even a little prideful? Today we want to look at a church that found their blessings to be more than enough and decided that God and His kingdom, the work He calls us to, weren't all that important. Their wealth, their prosperity was all they needed and Christ was an afterthought. Today there are many ways for us to become distracted, idle, or complacent seeking something other than Christ and His kingdom. For this church, wealth, prosperity, and blessings all grew to a point where they forgot by whom it all came from and whom it all belongs to. They became idle. They, be, they forsook or were forsaking the work of God and the worship of God, growing complacent for His kingdom in favor of their own wealth. For this church, wealth led to idle and complacent hearts. Jesus, however, certainly let them know of their mistake and made way the path to redemption again. They were redeemed or had the opportunity to be redeemed for their mistakes. It is a caution for idleness and it is a counsel for godliness. That's where our passage is today. Our main idea we're trying to get through here today is our hearts are prone to idleness, but Christ is the one who revitalizes hearts. We see that God starts in Christ's authority, but we can find ourselves complacent in our own workings for Christ sometimes. We sometimes don't see our desperate need for a Redeemer and our need for us to be active in His kingdom. Christ counsels us to seek the wealth He provides by His grace alone. He has salvation and grace for any far-off heart that truly repents. So let's get into and read our text for the day. This is Revelation 3, 
14 through 20. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, that's our church for today, write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, your word is our lifeblood. Your word is the book of life, and it is you incarnate. Scripture is you. It's your identity. And by seeking the scripture, we seek your heart. And Lord, to seek your heart, there is no greater endeavor and no better use of our time than seeking the heart of our King. Bless this church today that whatever could be stopping the ears from hearing what the Spirit is saying to them be removed, even in my own heart. Let any obstructions, any obstacles be cast away so that you, your word, your message is proclaimed and heard and we see your face today. This church loves you and we invite you into our hearts today to do life-changing work. Bless the reading of Revelation and bless the prayers that continually go up from this body. We love you. We pray all these things in your blessed and holy name. Amen. Amen. To begin with, we see by example in the church of Laodicea that they had complacency in the blessings and the labors of their church. Let's read verse 15 and 16 again. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is the letter to the church in Laodicea, given to John by Jesus himself in the book of Revelation. It was part of seven letters to seven churches. Jesus begins in verse 14 by announcing his authority, his ability to instruct them at all. Jesus is the amen here. His witness to God, his Father, is faithful and true, unlike to Laodicea, which we'll see shortly. Caveat, before we get into this, God sees each believer and church by their works and their faith, and knows what each of us have done or not done for his kingdom. We know that the works of God we do in faith, and they describe our faith. And we see that in James 2, 14 through 26. It's a little lengthy passage to go over here, but I encourage you, read it. He starts his correction to this church, as he did in multiple letters to the other churches in Revelation with, I know your works. We see that right there at the beginning of verse 15. I know your works. The problem is, this church was doing nothing. They had no works to speak of and were unwilling to be used for God's goodwill in that state. 
he describes them as neither cold nor hot. Lukewarm. Now, raise your hand if you would rather have a glass of cold water or a glass of hot water. Cold water. Neil's big hand, cold water. Now, would you rather take an ice bath or a nice steamy bath? Steamy bath, right? So we see right here, and we'll get into this in a bit, that hot water and cold water both have excellent uses. But to be in the middle, you ever get a bottle of water out of the back of your car and it's just kind of been sitting there? It's like, well, it's not really hot, it's not really cold, it's just kind of water. It doesn't feel necessarily one way or the other. This was a metaphor for the real-world scenario Laodicea experienced. Laodicea had to have its water piped over five miles from a nearby hot spring, and as such, when it arrived at the city, it was neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. Lukewarm water was undesirable to these people, and it did not have a real purpose. Cold was refreshing, and hot water was healing, but lukewarm served no purpose. By contrast, they had one neighboring city that had a cold mountain stream that they were known for. And the city they got their water from started as a hot spring. It was a medicinal healing spring, but by the time it got to Laodicea, it was completely lukewarm. Neither direction. The Laodiceans understood the reference Jesus was making. It was their own backyards. What they may not have realized at the start was that it was a metaphor for their hearts as well. The hearts of the Laodiceans were lukewarm. They had grown complacent, idle, not seeing the need to pursue God's kingdom. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. And he puts an exclamation point there. Be something. Don't just sit in the middle. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I can't do anything with you. There's nothing to do with you right now. I can. God's, let's get that straight. God can move and work in anybody, any church, at any time by his own power. But he would much rather this church be willing to walk with him. And right now he's saying, you're not willing. What can we do? What are you going to do for me? Right? They stopped working in God's kingdom, and they stopped fulfilling their purpose. Because of this unfinished work, Jesus, thus, will spit them out. Now, me personally, I would hate to be called lukewarm. And I often have the saying, it doesn't necessarily apply here, but I respect a person who's wrong more if they're wrong with conviction. If you're wrong, going to believe it. Better just believe it and be firm about it. If you're wrong or right and you kind of him or haw, well, I don't really know. It kind of loses that power to me. What God is saying here is be one or the other in good ways on both sides. Go here or go here, but go somewhere. Don't stick around in the middle. Have we been caught not fulfilling the purposes and opportunities Christ lays before us? Are we distracted by one of the myriad reasons the world provides? Laodicea's problem was its wealth, and we'll get that into a minute. But you could substitute wealth with anything else that distracts us from the work of God. And we'll see that in a minute. If we stopped and took stock of the opportunities, how many opportunities to move in God's kingdom are there around us daily? Do we let them pass by? 
There can be a myriad of reasons we find ourselves idling. The church in Laodicea had a very specific reason for their idle hearts. Their prosperity, their wealth had made them complacent, forgetting God and his blessings. Our second point, sometimes we can be blinded by ourselves. Read verse 17 again with me. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, for context, Laodicea was an exceedingly prosperous city. They had a number of high-income businesses that created it, which will be directly addressed in verse 18 by Jesus himself. It is also believed that the evangelical church there, excuse me, was most likely exceedingly wealthy. This caused problems for their reliance on King Jesus. This church thought of itself as rich, prosperous, and needing nothing. And we see it in verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Plain as day. We do not know if they meant spiritually or physically prosperous, but they were wrong in both directions. Physically prosperous, yes. But spiritually, and where it mattered, they were destitute. They had grown confident in their own wealth, confident and complacent. There was work to be done, witness to be, to be given, and yet nothing happened. While they held themselves up as needing nothing, they were in desperate need of Jesus and revival of their idle hearts. We know Jesus as our Savior and our salvation, and our Holy Spirit comes in to guide us forward and to clean up our hearts, but they work in tandem to revive a heart that has wandered away. And they will do it over and over for a person who is truly seeking God. And it's by His grace alone. By His grace alone, we can hope to change a heart that has wandered from God. And by His grace alone, we can know that salvation comes to the lost. Their hearts were so far away from the truth of their identity as Christ's church that they were called wretched. Their prosperity was spiritual bankruptcy. Their wealth with which they clothed themselves left them naked spiritually. They were blinded by their own prosperity. They were in desperate need of the heart surgeon to come in and heal their idle hearts, restoring them to a fruitful body of believers. Peter introduced in my brain the idea of the heart surgeon, and I've never dropped it. It's exactly what he does. He comes in and cuts out the necrosis, the rot, and replaces it with something good. In Romans, we're told we have a clean heart when we've come to Christ. But even the clean hearts, we can pile more dirt on. And he still needs to come in and clean us up once more. And that's what happens to the church of Laodicea. The irony of this situation is their wealth came from God in the first place. To him did they owe all they were, and yet they abandoned him spiritually. Their Redeemer and the work He wrought in their lives was forgotten behind money. Bruce Barton put it this way in his commentary. They may have been materially rich and assuming that riches were a sign of God's blessing of them. While their wealth came with their wealth came an attitude of self-sufficiency, feeling that they did not need a thing. 
They were materially secure and felt spiritually safe with no need for further growth. Unfortunately, that attitude made them blind to their own true condition, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It was a mindset. Now, is wealth in itself wrong? Is wealth in itself sinful? No. But when that starts to take the place of our position as believers and our position as workers in a holy kingdom, that becomes idolatry. And that is indeed of sin. You cannot serve God and money. Do we tend to see Jesus as our heart redeemer only when things are going the wrong way or when things are prosperous as well? When everything's all right, are you still pondering, huh, I really need Christ to come in and work on this part of me. I really need Christ to come in and do surgery in my heart. If you are, praise the Lord. I know I'm, not, I'm guilty of not doing that all the time. I'm guilty of when things are going well. I'm just like, well, this is great. Maybe I won't read my scripture tonight. I'd rather just go hang out with somebody. But every moment of every day, I need Christ to be doing revitalizing work in my heart. And that's what he's calling Laodicea to do in a big way. Because they had abandoned him. Our world today offers many reasons to turn our eyes away from God and put down kingdom work. Many ways to ignore our calling and sit still. For the Laodiceans, it was the wealth that God had allowed for them in the first place. Forgetting their position and the position of the king is what got Laodicea in lukewarm water. God, however, is our redeemer and our counselor, and he is the answer to ourselves. That's our point three. Christ counsels us to seek the wealth he provides by his grace alone. This is where hope enters into a destitute situation. Let's read verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those three attributes go directly hand in hand with the wealth of Laodicea and God is calling them to buy it from him. We'll see that in a second. Dear believer, this is a message of hope now. The page is turned. There is grace being offered even for this church in Laodicea. They may have turned their back on God, but God certainly hadn't turned his back on them. He disapproved and he corrected them, absolutely, but abandoned them, he did not. No matter how wretched they became, they were not outside of God's ability to redeem. No matter how far they had walked away, Christ seeks to revitalize his church by his grace. He wants them to grow again, to turn around, to come back. Christ offers attributes of actual, real, spiritual, and eternal value. We'll get into this idea of treasure. Treasure on this earth melts away. And in the grand span of eternity, it's a blink and it's gone. Would we not rather store spiritual treasure in heaven that will never fade away? 
Laodicea trusted in its wealth and gold and human prosperity, and it left them destitute. Christ offers them gold that has been refined by fire, spiritual fire, so that they may be truly rich. If you all know the process of how gold and a lot of other metals are refined, they melt the whole mess of it. All the negative, bad impurities get melted down and come to the top. They cut it all out. Off the, they skim it off the molten gold, throw it away, and let the gold cool. Ta-da, gold brick. And they do that with a lot of different metals. But the crazy thing is, no matter how much you do that, no matter how many times you purify it, you, it's so hard to get it down to pure elemental gold. The element, gold, A-U. It's so hard to refine it all the way down. No matter how perfect you can get it, there will always be some imperfection. Isn't that a metaphor in itself? Our hearts this side of heaven, no matter how close we get to God, will not be perfected until we are with Christ in heaven. And he is offering spiritual gold. Gold that is refined by his holy fire and is perfected without fail. Because he paid the sacrifice by his life. The gold he offered had no imperfections. And he imparts that to us. Spiritual gold stored in heaven. You won't see it here. And we don't even know if the gold will be a gold bar he hands us when we walk through the gates. It doesn't matter. The eternal reward is there. And spiritual life and treasure is stored in heaven for us. This gold is treasure of the Spirit, revived by holy fire. It is of eternal substance, not earthly substance. It is treasure stored for the faithful in heaven. Christ offers this to Laodicea even when they abandoned him and trusted their own gold. But this is the reward for the faithful, eternal treasure that will never fall away, stored for us in heaven until we arrive. Christ offers them white garments next. This is thought to reference the very profitable trade of black wool in Laodicea. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. What's the, when everyone thinks of what's the opposite of white? Black. The opposite of black is white. God offers pure white garments to cover their sinful trust in the trade of black wool and the prosperity that it brought them. It's one of their reasons, one of their main reasons that they were prosperous in the city was this trade of black wool. And he says, you're trusting in all these fine garments, you're trusting in all this wealth. Take from me a spiritual, white, pure garment and clothe yourself because you don't realize you are spiritually naked before me. This church trusted in the wealth brought by black wool, but what they truly spiritually need is pure white garments that only God can provide. They were spiritually naked to God, appearing before him in shame and disgrace, yet believed they needed nothing. Now, I believe it's the same in today's world. I'm not sure of your opinion. But back then, to be publicly seen naked was the ultimate humiliation. That would have ruined anyone's life. And I know it would probably ruin mine if it happened today. But to them, it was a serious, real, horrid dishonor. So for God to say every single one of you is without clothing and you don't realize it. That would have been a wake up to them for sure. 
this church adorned themselves in beautiful worldly clothes and were blind to their own shame. Shame brought on them by their own complacency and overconfidence. God offers them something they do not deserve. He offers white, pure garments to hide their shame and nakedness. And he does that today. Every single one of us has somewhere in our memory of a moment that you're ashamed of. Christ offers right now garments to cover that shame and put it to rest, put it away, as he offered it to Laodicea. They can receive this garment, this answer to their shame, by taking this warning, this chance, and turn back to serving Christ and receiving his grace, which they cannot earn. The gift was given. I see you, Laodicea. Right now, you have no concern for me. Not at all. You're content with all the money you're sitting in, your pretty clothes and your big houses. Where is room in your heart for me? I don't see any, but guess what? I love you anyway. So I'm going to make you these offers. And you best take them. Because I love you. And I don't want you to keep living like this. And we'll see that later. He makes a way to cover their shame with his own grace and righteousness. It is a gift. Laodicea was also known for a salve. A salve is like an ointment or a lotion that you put on the eyes to heal many small ailments. And it also drew great wealth. Once more, this confidence of this wealth rendered them blind to their spiritual need. Let's let's make the direct comparison. Look at verse 18 again. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire, prosperity one, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness, prosperity two, the black wool, so that it may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see, prosperity number three. They trusted in all these things, and he's saying, yeah, your earthly stuff is bringing you wealth right now, but take it from me and have spiritual wealth, spiritual treasure, spiritual hearts that turn back to me. I have a salve that will open your eyes to your condition. Come to me. I think I've said it before, but the wealth here, the prosperity, is just the vehicle of their idolatry. It could have taken any form. But this wealth was their condition at the moment. We may be caught in the same trap of wealth or anything else this world loves to throw at us. Christ in His grace says, Come take my salve and open your eyes. Repent, see your state, and turn back. This church had grown idle and complacent and God provided yet more ways to repent and return to him, casting off contentment in the things of this world and seeking God's kingdom and his kingdom work. Can you truly be content apart from living in Christ? No. But if you pile up enough worldly treasure, it can get you last long enough to where you get to the next hit, the next hit, the next hit. That's called addiction. And you can be addicted to the things of this world, the wealth of this world, and not truly be content in who God is. Trust in spiritual treasure. Since they were not serving his kingdom, there was no treasure to store in heaven for them. No matter where you are at or where a church is at, 
Christ offers a way back to building spiritual treasure, working in his kingdom, seeking his wealth. That spiritual wealth is what keeps us moving and seeking his kingdom each day, away from idleness and complacency. The idea of work has a negative connotation in our world, doesn't it? But think of it this way. What happened, what's the primary reason people go to work? To make money. Absolutely right. And people will put up with a lot of nasty jobs if it pays well enough, right? To work in God's kingdom, not only store spiritual wealth in heaven and in our hearts, at the same time, it improves us over time. It casts out sin. It cuts the negative and replaces it with Christ. And most importantly, it gives us eternal salvation. When we have believed in him and we start, take that gift of salvation and by honoring him, we work with him. And not only does this work store spiritual wealth, it revitalizes the heart. How then are we going to prioritize that? We're willing to work in this world on a crappy job to make just enough amount of money to go do some fun things. Are we willing to work for Christ and store up real wealth? That's what he's inviting the Laodiceans to do. Cast off your idleness and complacency brought about by your money and come work with me again. He spit them out because he couldn't work with them at that moment. Turn around, come to me. There is discipline and redemption in Christ. And he has salvation and grace for any far off heart that truly repents. Let's read verse 19 and 20 again. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Here it is, folks. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Behold, in the Greek, is more accurately translated, here I am. I am here. I am standing. I have arrived. And the knock, the Greek word isn't just and walk away. The knock is, and he will keep going. It is the knock in the hope of a response. It's not, not, you know how sometimes we can knock on the door and pray they don't answer so we can walk away? This is not him. He knocks expecting a response. No matter the situation, no matter how wretched the heart condition for those saved or those lost, no one is too far gone for Jesus Christ's salvation. The church in Laodicea had entirely turned away from Christ, seeking worldly pleasure and temporary satisfaction. While they still had their salvation, they had abandoned their need for a continual revitalizer and abandoned the work of God. However, beloved, Christ still sought fellowship and repentance from this church. He still sought his beloved. He declares his love for them by the reproving and the discipline of their souls. Reproof is defined as a scolding or a rebuke. It's an expression of blame or disapproval. Christ calls out this church's situation in a harsh way and certainly administers discipline. We must see that it is because of his love for us and for Laodicea that he did so. Those whom he loves. 
He commands them to be zealous of his things again. Zealous for a mindset of Christ and a love for his kingdom. Zealous for a deep love of Christ and a desire to turn to him. They didn't love Christ anymore. They loved their money. They didn't need Christ anymore. They had their money. God says, I love you. Why won't you love me? Why won't you come back and love me? I love you. This church had a chance to repent, even from such a pitiable state. They received an unexpected and touching manifestation of love for the church that deserved it least among the seven in Revelation. So Christ offers that to his people today. Repent, therefore, and be zealous of the things of Christ today, not the things of this world, its treasures and its pleasures. Store for yourself treasure in heaven instead. Seek him, serve him, love him. He then makes an incredible and remarkable statement of his character. Back in verse 20, we're going to read it again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There's two thoughts of what he was referencing there. One was a dinner gathering of a group of friends. Is he going to be invited? And that more represents the Laodicean church. There are other schools of thought that this is a reference to Song of Solomon with the church, with God and his bride, the church. Let me in, come in to me. I know you're hesitant, but I'm here for you. On the other hand, the feast. I'm here at the feast. Are you going to help welcome me in? Welcome me into your intimacy, your friendship, your family. Can I come in with you? Christ seeks friendship with us. He seeks communion. He seeks intimate fellowship. And he wasn't getting that from Laodicea. And the phrase has more than one application here. This is a call to the church and the individual. He is calling to the church at Laodicea as a whole. If he can find anyone faithful enough to turn from their idleness and complacency, long enough to open the door to God and his correction, his goodness, his teaching... He will indeed come into them and transform them again. He will reprove and discipline them, as he said, and turn them back. He also calls to the individual. Wherever your heart is, no matter the state, Christ stands at the door of your heart and seeks to enter it from his love. He wants to come inside and start doing miraculous heart-saving work to cut idleness and complacency and start storing spiritual treasure in heaven, not earthly, temporary treasure. So what does this have to do with us now? I can say with confidence, my beloved church, that I don't see us as one that loves our money and has turned our back on God as a believer, as a believing church, as a body of believers. Self-righteousness is believing that we are incapable of the sins of others. Satan is devious, and we are weak most of the time, unless we're heavily relying on Christ. How many would raise their hand to say, that could never happen to me? I could never love my money more than I love God. Anybody bold enough to say, nope, never going to happen to me? That's why this is a tale of caution. On the other side of that, take out wealth, substitute Anything else, fill in the blank. It's like a Mad Lib. 
The story of Laodicean church in Revelation is one of a deep-rooted idleness and complacency with a stern correction and a miraculous chance for repentance and salvation from their sin. For us today, it is a tale of caution for our own hearts. Our world is full of an infinite reason to lose focus on God and serving His kingdom. For any heart that isn't truly actively seeking Christ each day, and even for those that are, there are needles and sometimes full of salts to keep you away from Christ. Where will you stand when those attacks come? The crazy part about Laodicea is they thought they were spiritually good. They didn't even see the attack. It crept up on them. And all of a sudden they found themselves in a place of destitution, even though they were spiritually, or they thought they were spiritually wealthy. Are we aware of these schemes going on behind? Brothers and sisters, this sounds scary, but hear that Christ is hope and power to utterly defeat any of that. He is the power to utterly save and repent from any of that. Psalm 23. I will not fear though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Christ is there. Are you holding Him? That's my call. That's the call of Revelation. Are you holding on to Him in His work? Are you continuing to improve your heart through Christ alone by His grace? Or is something sneaking up on you? And all of a sudden you look around like, whoa, how did I even get here? It's happened to me, it could happen to any of us, and it happened to Laodicea. We can be true, real believers with a working relationship with Christ and be fallen away to the comforts of this world. We can be lost without relationship with Christ and be caught up in the pleasures and treasures of this world, unaware that it rots from within and is temporary. Our call in Christ Jesus is to store up permanent treasure in heaven. We do this by serving Him actively, seeking His kingdom, His will, His guidance. The treasure of this world is quick to draw us away from God and shift our focus. Whether you are a believer, temporarily trapped in idleness, or perhaps lost, seeking lasting treasure, either way, Christ is the answer. And He always has been and He always will be. He stands at the door with a continual knocking. It's wanting the hope of response. How then will you respond? From the, best, from the best heart to the worst heart, Christ is knocking. Come in. I want to come in. I want to start moving with you. Are any of the reasons this world provides leading us into idleness or complacency? Fear, wealth, insecurity, position, power, idolatry. Whatever it is that may shift your attention away from God's beautiful work at hand, Christ is calling you to lay it at His feet. Our loving Christ longs to keep us from any situation that could turn us into Laodicea. He is the heart redeemer and the heart revitalizer. He can take a broken, self-centered, backward church such as Laodicea or any heart otherwise and offer grace beyond understanding that we do not deserve to redeem our hearts and revitalize our spirits. So are we ready to realize a potential heart condition, turn around, repent, and take hold of that incredible grace? Laodicea had a chance, and so do we. For anyone in here 
who's heard anything of the Laodicean story and realized, man, I don't know what eternal treasure looks like. I don't know what being okay is. I'm trying all this other stuff, but it's just not working. Brother and sister, maybe Christ is calling you today to come forward to Him and start building eternal treasure walking alongside Him. For the believers in the room, if you think, my life's just kind of boring. I'm not really growing. I'm not moving. The church feels stale. I feel stale in my faith. I keep doing the same thing here in, day out. I invite you, look inside. And Christ will help, by the way. This isn't some search he just leaves you to grope around in the dark and hope you find what's wrong. He shines the flashlight. He says, let me into the heart and we'll look for it together. And he'll find what's separating you from a fruitful life in Christ. He's still finding it in me daily. I didn't say this at the start like I always say. Everything I say from up here, I say to myself. Every single time. I didn't say that at the beginning, so I'll say it at the end. Where are you today? If you're someone who felt the call of Christ and said, I need to start storing real treasure, come forward in this next song. If you don't feel comfortable praying with me, there's a myriad of people in here who would love to pray with you. Peter and Clarissa, mom and dad, any of the deacons, anyone in here. Seek them out. Maybe you need prayer to revitalize a heart. To revive a heart again. That Christ would come in and start doing incredible work again. Seek prayer personally or with someone else as well. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. And he will continue to do. And he will continue to do. And he will continue to do. Because that's who he is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you so much that we heed the words that you spoke to Laodicea. Regardless of what could keep us idle or complacent or keep us unfocused or keep us away from you, we know you are powerful enough to do something about it. And you will. You're the great and powerful king, the love of our lives, our master and our savior. And nothing we could do could separate us from the love of God. You are a disciplining father. You are a correcting father. And because you love us, you will continue to discipline and return us back to your fold, your grace. Lord, I pray right now that every heart in this place comes to you today and says, my Lord, I want to go deeper. I want to be with you more. I want to be active in your kingdom. I want to start storing spiritual treasure. I want my heart to be clean. I say that for my own soul, and I hope there are others in here today saying, Lord, come into our hearts deeper. Be with this church as we go out. There's an infinite reasons to turn away from you. Give us, let us see the reasons that you provide every day to stay focused on you. Realize that our blessings come from you alone. And not to have confidence in our own worth, or earthly wealth, but in the blessings you provide. For everything is from you and for you and comes back to you in the end. We love you. This church loves you. To God be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen.